0: We're working our way through the book of Exodus. We're going to land right on the 10th and final plague, Easter Sunday, which in and of itself is divine providence. As we talk about the good news of the gospel, yes, right here in Exodus, we are talking about the good news of the gospel. And as we see God pour out his wrath, his judgment upon Egypt, we are seeing the good news of the gospel unfolding before our very eyes. So I'm going to read the chapter, follow along, Exodus chapter 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the field, on your horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep, a very severe pestilence. And the Lord will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. So nothing shall die of all that belongs to the children of Israel. Then the Lord appointed a set time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. So the Lord did this thing on the next day, and all the livestock of Egypt died. But of the livestock of the children of Israel, not one died. Then Pharaoh sent, and indeed, not even one of the livestock of the Israelites was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh, and it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in sores on one on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses and scattered them toward heaven, and they caused boils and that break out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For at this time, I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this purpose, I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down, such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore, send now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for the hail shall come down on every man and every animal which is found in the field and is not brought home, and they shall die. And he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man and beast, on every herb of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with hail, so that very heavy So very heavy that there was none like it in the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast, and the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in the bud. But the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased and the rain was not yet poured on the north. On the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, Lord, open our hearts and minds, illuminate this word, reveal your gospel to us. Change us, renew us, conform us to the very image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we would be a glory to you in the earth. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. So we come to Exodus 9, and Exodus 9 introduces the fifth plague to us. This is the pestilence that God brought upon all the livestock of Egypt. And in this plague, once again, God differentiates. So we saw this back in chapter 8, specifically in verse 23, where, where God says, I will make a difference between my people and your people. And that was when he said, these things now will come upon the Egyptians in the land of Egypt, but in the land of Goshen, where my people, where the children of Israel live. That land will not experience these plagues. And so once again, when we get here and we're looking at this fifth plague of pestilence, it's going to come upon the livestock. God makes this distinction. And he says, I will make a difference between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt. And so we see this principle, this truth, that God makes a difference. In the fifth plague, God made a difference between Israel and Egypt just like he did in the plague before. And he made a difference between his people and those who were not his people. Remember, this doesn't have anything to do with ethnicity. This has to do with identity today we are not saved for any other reason except our identity in Christ. God is distinguishing. We see a distinction here, and He says between the livestock of the Egyptians and the livestock of the children of Israel. But we need to understand that that distinction was based upon God identifying certain ones as His, and God not identifying others as not His. And so this is why when we come to the New Testament, and you read Paul's writings, in particular his letters, where he makes this amazing statement, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. And Paul is not abolishing the created order. Remember, God is is not all of a sudden blind to gender differences. That's not the point of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, now in Christ, we are no longer identified based on whether we are physical descendants of Abraham or whether we are born of the nations and we're not physical descendants of Abraham. In terms of the covenant, we can bear the sign now whether we're male or whether we are female. We can bear it now whether we're slave or whether we're free. It has nothing to do with our ethnicity. It has nothing to do with our genetics. It has everything to do with our identity in Christ. And that didn't just happen when we get to Matthew one. That didn't just happen in the New Testament. That is the gospel that was preached from the very beginning. So when Paul says the gospel was preached to Abraham, if we don't know better, we might think that Abraham was reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts in the letter to the Romans, but he wasn't. Abraham was hearing the good news. He was receiving from God the promise that I have imparted to you my righteousness, Abraham, and because of my grace, I will bless you and you will become a blessing to the nations, not just to the nation of Israel, but you will become a blessing to all the families of the earth. And we are proof of that today, because if we are in Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise, based on what the Apostle Paul, who was a Jew of Jews, wrote for us, recorded for us in his letter to the Galatians. So God is making a difference. And he's making a difference here in this story. This is God's story. God's writing this. We're reading the story that God is writing. And God's making a difference between Egyptians and the children of Israel if we See this in the fourth plague. He made a difference in the land. In this plague, he's going to make a difference in the livestock. And it says that he does this to show Pharaoh that there is none like him in all the earth. As we read this, we need to understand, church, that there is none like him in all the earth. There is none like him in heaven. There is none Like him, period. This judgment being poured out upon Pharaoh in Egypt, it is judgment, it is wrath, but at the very same time, it is grace that's being poured out upon the children of Israel and any who would fear the word of the Lord. And even after Pharaoh saw that the word of the Lord had come true, that none of the livestock of the Israelites was dead, The Bible says that he hardened his heart again toward God. But the heart of Pharaoh became hard, and he did not let the people go. And like Pharaoh's heart, our heart remains hardened by sin until God, in his grace, gives us a new one. This is something that we all need to understand. You cannot and I cannot change a heart. So that means you can't change your own heart and I can't change my own heart. Only God can change a heart. But now here is what the Bible tells us. Recorded for us in Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Paul is writing and he says, I beg you, brothers, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable act of worship, no longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what you and I do have the power to do is renew our mind. But you're not going to, see the value in renewing your mind. You're not going to have a desire to renew your mind. You're not going to have a love for the things of God or for God himself until what? Until God gives you a new heart because it is from your heart, not your mind, that you love God. It is from your heart, not your mind, that faith comes forth. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Not from the abundance of the mind, the mouth speaks, but from the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. And once God has given you a new heart, you are commanded, I am commanded to renew my mind according to his truth. I don't have to think the way I used to think. I don't have to act the way I used to act. Before, I thought that way and acted that way because I was bound by sin and there was no escape for me. But God is my escape, God is my deliverer, God has set me free, given me a new heart, and now He commands me out of that new heart to renew this mind to His truth, and so be being conformed to the image of His Son. It takes a miracle to get a new heart. And until that miracle takes place, we willfully choose our rebellion against God. Our sin and our wrath and our anger toward God can be open and aggressive like we see with Pharaoh, or it can be hidden and passive like we see with Judas. And think about Judas, the disciple of Jesus, for a moment. He was the treasurer. He controlled the money. The Bible tells us that he was stealing money the whole time. And he thought... I guess he thought that Jesus didn't know. Jesus knows the very thoughts and intents of our heart. But others didn't know. Others didn't know Judas was betraying Jesus. And whatever the motivation of Judas was, even if it was somehow twistedly in his mind, he was trying to do something that he thought was going to ultimately be good for the nation... What we see is this reality that Judas decided to follow his own way, to make his own plan, to achieve his own purpose, because he, in his mind, thought he knew better than God. He wasn't open and aggressive about that. He was very secretive and hidden and passive about that. We can be aggressive in our rebellion, or we can be very passive in our rebellion. We see this all the time with our children, right? We see children that are openly rebellious against their parents. I mean, they're yelling and they're kicking and they're screaming and they're crying and they're just like openly rebellious. Then we see other children who seem to be compliant, who are outwardly submissive, but what's happening on the inside? What are they doing on the inside? See, we as human beings fail to realize that our rebellion, hidden and covered up by sweetness on the outside or submission on the outside, is just as sinful as our open aggression against authority. And God will expose either or both. Bitter or sweet, sin is still sin and our sin reveals who we are and that we must be born again. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, Nicodemus was not aggressively, openly rebellion toward God. In fact, he was a very pious man, he was a very learned man, he was a very religious man, he was a very spiritual man and he wanted to know how he could see the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom unless you are born again. In other words, Jesus said, Nicodemus, your good works are not going to get you there. Your law keeping is not going to get you there. What you need is beyond your ability to give yourself. What you need is something that only God can give you. When we're born again, it's not us, but it is God that has made the difference. Like a baby that is born, it's not the baby, but the parents that have brought about the birth. Now that we are born again in Christ, it's not that we never sin, we do, right? Am I the only one? Am I the only born again person that that still sins? No, when we're born again, it doesn't mean we, we stop having sinful desires or We stop being tempted, or we stop losing our temper, or we stop uh, losing our patience. No, that's not what it means. We still have the capability to sin. Sometimes it seems like it's even worse, right? I don't know, maybe that's just me. It's not that we no longer sin. That's not what makes the difference. What makes the difference is not us, but God and how He now relates to us in Christ. Even with new hearts and the Spirit of God, our flesh and our mind are prone to sin. My flesh, the Bible says your flesh is sinful. The Bible says your mind is prone to the old ways because that's all it knows. So now you're going to have to purposefully, diligently, consistently renew it to the truth. That means it ain't going to cut it by you just putting your Bible under your pillow at night because it doesn't get in there by osmosis. It doesn't get in here by osmosis. You've got to put yourself in a position to hear the Word, to read the Word, to meditate the Word, to pray the Word, to study the Word. Blessed is the man, the psalm says, who loves the law Of the Lord who meditates in His law day and night. God does not love us because we become better sin managers. God loves us because He chooses to. And in choosing to love us in spite of our sinfulness, God chose to make a difference between us and the world. And in choosing to love us, God set us free from a nature of sin and death that held us in bondage and kept us separated from Him. He chose to love us and birth us again by the Spirit so that we could choose to love Him. We tend to make a mess, but God makes a difference. we get to verse 8 of this chapter and we're introduced to the sixth plague and so every third plague is an unannounced plague plague one and two god sent moses to pharaoh and said pharaoh this is what's going to happen if you don't let my people go to serve me and pharaoh would harden his heart and he would rebel against god and then god would send an unannounced plague upon egypt We see this every third plague. The third plague, the sixth plague, and this sixth plague, which is the plague of boils, is what we see unannounced coming upon the Egyptians. Without warning, this plague came. With each plague, the judgments came closer to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh continued to harden his heart just as God told Moses that he would. And after Pharaoh repeatedly hardening, listen, we see this from the very onset of this, The Bible says repeatedly each time, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart, and Pharaoh hardened his heart. We come to the sixth plague, and we see that after Pharaoh has repeatedly hardened his heart, made empty promises to God because he really wasn't interested in repentance. He just wanted the plagues to stop. He wanted the inconvenience to go away. We see God now in this plague giving Pharaoh over to the hardness of his heart. In other words, God is giving Pharaoh over to his hardness completely. It describes the reality that after Pharaoh repeatedly hardened his own heart, God now actively hardened Pharaoh's heart to an even greater degree, just as he told Moses he would. That's recorded for us in Exodus 4.21. When God is getting ready to send Uh, He's preparing Moses to go back to Egypt, and he tells Moses exactly what's going to happen. He says, Pharaoh is not going to let the the people go. He's going to harden his heart, and I will harden his heart, Exodus 4.21. This is the process that the Apostle Paul describes in his letter to the Romans. So let's hold our place here in Exodus, and let's go over briefly to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now, the, the letter to the Romans, we just finished Romans on Wednesday night. We went verse by verse through the book of Romans. And Romans is, as all the Bible is, Romans is an amazing uh, book. It's a letter that Paul wrote, and in this letter that he wrote to the church at Rome, Paul gives us it's it 's like a mini bible it's just like it is the gospel it is god's plan of salvation it's how God deals with with his creation it's how God deals and brings about his purpose it, and it shows it in stark clearness and stark reality and in Romans chapter one, Paul begins this letter basically by by talking about the sinfulness of man the sinfulness of uh, of of everyone the fallenness of this world as a result of sin and let's look at verse 18 romans chapter 1 verse 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men all a l l not some but all who suppress the truth what do men do they suppress the truth in unrighteousness Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. This is exactly what Pharaoh is doing. Pharaoh is not denying that that God is doing this. Pharaoh is very well aware. He knows God. He knows that God is bringing these judgments, but he refuses to glorify Him as God. Nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image, made like corruptible men and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Remember the first plagues? The river, the river was a, something that the Egyptians worshipped. There was the river God, and the river was their life. What did God do? He took that river and He turned it into blood to show them that you're worshipping a worthless idol. I created the river. I gave it to you for your life, and you've turned it into something to worship. Then what did God do? He sent frogs. Frogs were another thing that they worshipped. And the very thing is, so God took these idols and he turned them into curses. And he did that to let all of us know that the things that we idolize other than God himself ultimately will become a curse for us and lead to our destruction. And so Paul goes on here, and basically what Paul is saying, because of the hardness of their hearts, God gave them over Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use against nature, likewise the men also. But I want you to see this, that God gave them over. Verse 24, God gave them up to uncleanliness. God gave them over to vile passions. This is what is happening to Pharaoh. So we come to this sixth plague. And we go from Pharaoh hardening his own heart to now the Bible clearly shows us that God now hardens Pharaoh's heart. Verse 12, But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed him just as the Lord had spoken. That statement, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, is not indicating that Pharaoh was about to surrender to God. Here's how we sometimes read this. Here's how we're tempted to read this. We read the story of the Exodus and we think, man, just when Pharaoh was ready to surrender and get saved and get born again and confess his faith in Jesus Christ, God pulled the rug out from under him and hardened his heart. How is that fair, God? No, do not. Believe that, that's a lie from the pit of hell. That's, that's a lie from man's twisted, sinful mind trying to figure things out. No, listen, Pharaoh was not anywhere close to surrendering to God. What we see Pharaoh doing every time God brings a judgment, what does Pharaoh do? He doubles down on God. He says, oh yeah, you think that's gonna break me, God? Let me just show you, no. And he continuously hardens His heart. He was not in any way, shape, or form getting ready to surrender to God. No, this statement is confirming even in even greater detail the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh was not wavering in his rebellion against God. He was doubling down in his rebellion against God. And in the process of Pharaoh continually hardening his heart, Pharaoh himself hardening his own heart, resisting and rebelling against God God gave him over completely to that hardness do you know why we are not in the same position Pharaoh was in it's not because we don't harden our hearts not because we don't double down against God because we do the reason we're not in the same position Pharaoh was in is because God did not give you over to the hardness of your heart God didn't abandon you the hardness of your heart not because you wanted god are you hearing me church but because god wanted you don't think that somewhere in the hardness of your heart you just had this epiphany and said well okay god i guess i'll give you a chance i'll just i'll see how you are no that's not how it works the only reason you and i are here hearing this gospel reading this bible talking about the God of our salvation is because God chose not to turn you over to the hardness of your heart, not because you were incapable of becoming that hard because every human heart is born harder than you can imagine. And it has the capacity to continually harden itself. And it is God who delivers us from that hardness. It is God who says, Enough! And God pulls us back from the brink. And God saves us. We do not save ourselves. It is crystal clear right here. God put it right down here in his scripture in black and white for us. God can break a heart or God can harden a heart. It's not the heart. That makes the difference. It's God that makes the difference. And He does both according to His sovereign plan and purpose. How do we know that's true? Don't forget what I always tell you the best interpretation of the Bible is what? The Bible. How do we know that's true? How do we know that God can break a heart or God can harden a heart and He does both according to His sovereign plan and purpose? Because that's exactly what the Bible teaches us. So let's read on. Verse 13. Sixth plague comes. Pharaoh's heart's hardened. Now God brings the seventh plague. Verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, So... God would send Pharaoh out to the river. It, you, we can't imagine what an affront this was to Pharaoh. I mean, it's just God challenging everything that Pharaoh believed that he was. He sends Moses out to stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people, that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with the pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. In other words, God said to Pharaoh, the only reason you're not dead right now is because I have chosen to keep you here. And why did God choose to keep him here? Well, verse 16 tells us exactly why. Why did God harden Pharaoh's heart? Why did God not intervene and deliver Pharaoh from the hardness of his own heart? Verse 16 tells us, but indeed... For this purpose, this is God, this is the word of God through the servant Moses. But indeed for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. <laughs> in other words, now think about this. Here is Pharaoh who, who believes he's a god. Because that's, that's what Pharaohs were, they were gods. He was the god of Egypt. He was... The supreme commander. He was the supreme authority. There was no power higher than his power. And God comes to him and God shows him, you're you're not God over the water. You're not God over the land. You're not God over the animals. You're not God over anything. You're only God over the illusion of your own and your own heart and your own mind. It's your fantasy. And God ultimately comes and he says to him, you think you're even resisting me in your rebellion. But I'm telling you, even your rebellion is part of my purpose. You're not even God over your own rebellion. Because I could deliver you from your rebellion in a moment. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power in all the earth. I mean, God is stripping everything everything away from Pharaoh and Pharaoh doesn't even realize it. He will realize it though. Pharaoh in his hardness did not see God as the God of heaven and earth. Pharaoh saw himself as God. Pharaoh was the object of worship, the seat of power in Egypt. He ruled supreme and no sheep herder was going to come in there with some foreign God and usurp his power and his name. That was Pharaoh's problem. He thought it was his throne, his rightful place, and his rightful power. For he thought that he was rightfully in control. He ruled supreme. He was the master of his own destiny. It's a great story. But you know what? The problem is, Pharaoh's not the only person in that condition. Every one of us here today suffer from the same sickness, it's called sin. And there's only one that can deliver us from that, and it is the Lord God Almighty. Left to ourselves, we may never rule an empire like Egypt, but we will rule our own empire no matter how small or how large it may be. No matter how great the influence or how small the influence, we'll rule it in our own hearts and our own minds. It may never get beyond ourselves, But in our minds and in our hearts, we're going to rule ourselves. We're going to rule our empires. We're going to be the masters of our destiny. I'm going to make my choices. I'm going to do what I want. It's my place. It's my right. Really? That's what Pharaoh... It's easy for us to see this with Pharaoh, right? He's ruling a whole empire. He's ruling the world. It's hard for us to see it in ourselves because we might... We might be the slave in Egypt, just trying to survive. But don't think just because you're a slave in Egypt, just trying to survive, you can't have the same art attitude that your pharaoh does, ruling an empire. Because it doesn't matter about geography and natural wealth and power and influence. The question is, who's going to rule on the throne of your heart? And that was Pharaoh's problem. It had nothing to do with the empire of Egypt. It had everything to do with the empire of his own heart. And that's the problem of sinful humanity. We desire to be God, and we are not. So Paul addresses this. We get over to Romans chapter 9. And Paul quotes this very scripture. Turn over there, turn back to Romans. Romans chapter 9, again, the best interpretation of the Bible is the Bible. How are we to understand this? Romans chapter 9, let's begin in verse And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man, even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, not because one was a better sin manager than the other, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? The answer of the Scripture, don't wonder about it. Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, and here Paul quotes the very Scripture we're looking at right now, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the Scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills he hardens. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault for who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What does God's grace do? God's grace should never drive us toward more sinfulness. God's grace should drive us toward thankfulness. If you're in Christ, if you're saved today, you need to know that you're saved because God chose to love you and God chose to deliver you from yourself and from a sin and a bondage and a death that you had no power to deliver yourself from. And when you understand that it is the grace of God, it's the work of God, it's what Christ has done, what Christ has finished, that has made the difference. It's not... It's not who you are, it's who he is that has made the difference. It should, it should cause gratefulness, gratitude, worship to just overwhelm us because we understand that our only hope, our only salvation has come by God's grace. Those Egyptians who feared the word of the Lord, guess what? They were able to take their animals And themselves and their servants put them under cover and escaped that wrath. Why? Because they feared the word of the Lord. And that fear of the Lord was the grace of God upon those Egyptians. Any who feared His word would have the opportunity to save their lives, their servants and their livestock, and themselves by heeding the word of the Lord. This is a picture of God's salvation for all people, for Jews, for Egyptians, for all nations. In verses 27 and 28, Pharaoh falsely repents after the thundering and the hell and the fire. He says, I can't take it anymore. Make the thundering stop because the thunder was as the voice of God. And Pharaoh had never experienced anything like that before. He could not stand the thundering because he could not stand the voice of God. He could not stand the word of God or anything that reminded him that he was not God. He couldn't make it stop which indicated his power wasn't what he thought it was. His magicians couldn't make it stop, which indicated there was someone and something greater than himself, and that had to stop. That he could not take. The reminder that he was not the God he thought he was. Verses 29 and 30, Moses knows that Pharaoh's words are false, and Pharaoh and his servants are not Truly repentant. And the Bible says that Pharaoh knew that they would harden their hearts against the Lord. And it reminds us of what time of year, and it talks about the crops that are in the field, and what we're going to see as we move forward in the weeks ahead that this is the beginning of the complete destruction, dismantling of the land of Egypt. And that Pharaoh is so consumed with himself. That he doesn't care about his people. He doesn't care about his land. He doesn't care about anything. But we're reminded of the hardness of his heart. God does not intervene. But indeed for this purpose I have raised you up. That I may show my power in you. That my name may be declared in all the world. God could have had the scenario in Egypt play out any way. That he wanted. But this was the purpose of God, for the plan of God, for the glory of God. And the purposes of God are greater than our own, and they are transcendent of our ability to comprehend their intricate workings. Who would have ever thought, 3,500 plus years later, here we are in Taylor, Texas, talking about the Pharaoh? The word of the Lord has come true. God revealed his power. And we're still talking about it today. We and all things are created for his purpose. And that's true whether we like it or not. And sometimes we don't like that. He is in control whether we like it or not. Sometimes we don't like that. Here's the most important thing that we need to know, that His grace is sufficient. When you and I can't comprehend the purposes of God, the workings of God, the process God is, is, is working out, what we can know is the promise that He gives us that His grace is sufficient. And we can know that He's a good God and He is working out His good and glorious plan and purpose in all things. Here's the problem Sinful man is afraid to admit that there is a God who is sovereign over all things. God is in absolute control. Man resists this truth because it diminishes his own power and his own control over all things and makes him accountable to God. God is not in a cosmic battle. God is not one of two equal but opposite forces. Of good and evil, maintaining balance in the universe. That is a philosophy that came from the twisted mind of man trying to make sense of the things that we can't explain or we do not want to admit. Because as soon as we admit them, as soon as we confess them, we give glory and we give control where it properly needs to be in the very hands of God. God is not looking for good sin managers. He is looking for a people who will fear his word and live in his love to the fullness of his joy. And he gives you and I new hearts to be able to do that. Amen. Let's get ready and come to the table. My charge to you this week is to know and to remember that you are not in a cosmic battle between two equal but opposite forces of good and evil. You are in a cosmic battle. But there is only one supreme power. There is only one clear winner. There is only one victor. His name is Jesus Christ. God is the sovereign who rules and reigns in supreme power, having won for us the complete victory in Christ. Remember that there is no question as to the outcome. It is already finished. And when we are tempted to rationalize away the sovereignty of God, remember that he is the Lord and that there is none like him on earth or in heaven. That is not you and I who make the difference, but it is God who has made the difference by his grace. And in God making the difference, he gives us the power to go into this world and for us to make a difference around us. To be salt and to be light. So I charge you church to go in the power of the God who has made a difference. And be salt and be light. And ask God to give you the grace to see his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.